Thank you for listening to the sermon audio podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now here's a message from our senior pastor, Brian Bond. All right, how's everybody doing today? Today we're going to talk about love and hate. And um, just wait till I get, get a hold of this good who came up with the idea for this sermon series. I'm going to have a long talk with him. <laughs> Every week, honestly, has been um, a struggle in preparing this because there, and this week was maybe the biggest struggle because there are, um, when you talk about love and hate, I originally thought that we were going to, and we're going to do this next week, was how to deal with love and hate in people um, that are around you and how, you know, what are the right attitudes. And when I began to look, I started to think, well, the, the place where we want to see how to handle those things is by going and seeing how God handles love and hate. And, you know, we like to think about God is love and that God loves but the fact is, the Bible also talks about that God hates. And um, it's uncomfortable as you study that to recognize that at some point, God hated me. And I want us to see and I want us to look at the Scripture and really understand what those words mean as best we can. Um, you know, it's amazing. The hard part about this is because man's been trying to define what love is <laughs> For centuries, you know, you remember love is this, love is that, and there's all these examples, and what does it mean and all that. And when we really look at what love really is and what hate is, um, I want us to see that through the Word of God and through how God views things and to understand next week we're going to look at how that relates to the way we treat other people. But we're going to look at two verses to begin with. If you want to turn your Bibles to John 3.16 or to Psalm 4. Psalm, excuse me, Psalm 5, verses 4 and 5. I want to read both of those because it addresses both these things. And so I want us to look at those first. And if you'd please stand and honor the reading of God's Word. John 3.16 says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. And then Psalm 5, verses 4 and 5. O oh God, you take no pleasure in wickedness, you cannot tolerate the sins of the wicked. Therefore, the proud may not stand in your presence, for you hate all who do evil. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, not only does the Scripture tell us that God hates all who do evil, and that's at one point or another has been us, but it also talks about the, the consequences of that. In Psalm 11, 5 through 6, it says, The Lord examines both the righteous and the wicked. He hates those who love violence. He will rain down blazing coals and burning sulfur on the wicked, punishing them with scorching winds. Not only is there this talk about God loving and God hating, but there is a punishment that comes attached at some point when there is a judgment. And one of the things that I, I want us to see, and this is very important, for us to, to understand when we're looking at this, and when you read words like that, you know, when we tend to think about, well, God hates the wicked, we, I don't know about you, but our first of all, that ain't me, that's somebody else. You know, well, God hates, that's, that's somebody else, that, that's not me. But the fact is that at one point or another, it was us. And so what does that mean? You know, I want us to understand there's two meanings for, for love and hate. 
You know, we, we use those words interchangeably for a lot of things. You know, we talk about, you know, I love, man, I love the Lord. I love God. I, I, I appreciate, you know, Jesus and what he's done for me. And so I love God. I love my wife. I love my family. Um, I love Bluebell ice cream. I love Chevy trucks, or I love this, or whatever. I mean, we use those words for a lot of different things. And love can mean, it can be an intense attraction to or, um, uh, or delight in a certain quality. You know, and that's, all of us can remember, you know, at some point, um, you know, as we were dating or looking for that person that we were going to marry, and some of you are still there, you know, you'd see somebody, and oh my goodness, they're, I think they're the one. And, you know, you go tell people, and then maybe you go out on a date, you get to know them a little bit better, and you're like, no, no, that ain't going to work. And as you get to know them a little bit more, that, that one quality wasn't, wasn't enough. Um, and so there's, there's this attraction to a quality, but then there's that person that you come to where you do recognize there are certain things that you may not like, but it's an intense desire to bless or to hold on to or to protect or provide for or to, to please despite the presence of, of a despised quality of something that you hate. And it's that desire to love anyway. And hatred is... Uh, can be an intense loathing of, of a single thing, a quality, or it can also be in its worst form or its most extreme form as an intense desire to destroy. And so there's two, two levels there. You know, that, that hatred is a, um, an intense loathing of a quality or a presence of something. It doesn't necessarily mean that there's that extreme hatred, which is a, an intense desire to destroy. And so when we think about those things, we need to understand that, that we tend to think about hate in its most intense form, is a desire to destroy or to, to be away from. But, you know, the fact is that those, both of those things come up in, in, a, in a marriage. You know, that there are, you know, we start out with, oh, my goodness, marriage, oh, and, and we try to put on our best. You know, when we show up to take them out, we're on our best behavior. We got on our best clothes. We're cleaned up. You know, we, we whatever. And and then, but then there comes a point where we recognize, and and you can't hide forever that there are qualities that 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 maybe aren't the best. And real love is that that decision, that desire to go ahead and bless and to love someone despite the fact that there's that quality. Because anybody who is married could tell you. Hey, I love these things about my spouse. What's something you'd change, man? I, that, mm, no. I'd change that if I could. If there was a button I could push on them that changed that, we'd do it. And they'd do the same thing to us. And it doesn't take very long of being married to know what that thing is or things, okay? And yet, real love is to continue on and to love and to bless them anyway. And so I, I want us to understand some of those things before we look at these qualities of God, these things of God, because it does say in the Scripture, and I just read it to you, that, that God hates. What does God hate? Well, we know God hates sin. You know, we say all the time, well, you know, God loves the sinner but hates the sin. But that word but really shouldn't be in there. That's kind of a misnomer. It's really God loves the sinner and hates the sin. It's not a but. It's not like... Well, God loves the sinner, but, you know, he, he just, he hates the, the actions. But the fact is that, that when God describes 
those things that he hates. He doesn't, there are times when he just talks about hating a sin, but oftentimes it's in connection to a person. And so I want us to see that. And, and one of the reasons is that we got to understand something about sin. Sin is not something that mildly annoys God. God despises sin. Why does he despise sin? Because it is the exact opposite of his character. He is holy and he is righteous. And as a matter of fact, there were a couple times where people were in a vision, in some way able to, to, to experience the presence of God. Isaiah did it. You can read about it in the book of Isaiah. We're gonna, I'm going to look at, talk about one of the passages. And then there's John, who was the disciple, the beloved one that, that was taken up in a vision before God and were able to see kind of God in his throne room. And in both instances, there were a couple of things that were very similar. And in Isaiah 6, it talks about the seraphim, and they are angel, angelic-like creatures that, that, that are constantly flying around the throne room of God. And they have six wings, and that same thing's true in the, the vision in, in Revelation chapter 4. And with one of the wings, they cover their eyes. With one, they cover their feet. And with one, they fly around. And both of them, they, they constantly are singing to one another about God. And what they sing is, is very similar. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And in Revelation, it's holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And so the, the thing that's similar that's connected in both of those is about God's holiness, his perfection, his and it's not just a, hey, sin, mildly annoys. It's, it's the absence of sin. God is holy. And it is because of his holiness that God hates. And what is it that he hates? Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, gives us a list of the things that God hates. There are six things the Lord hates. No, seven things he detests. There's a strong reaction to these things. There, it is haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who sows discord in a family. And here's what I want you to see from that passage is that the actions are not separated from the person. Do you, do you see that? It's not, he just hates somebody that's proud. It's haughty eyes. It's not just that he hates lies. He hates a lying tongue. It's not just that he hates the act of murdering the innocent. He hates the hands that kill the innocent. It's not just that he hates when people plot and try to get what's best for them and selfishly try to scheme to get what they want. It's he hates a heart that plots evil. He hates the feet that race to do wrong. And then the last two, it's just a false witness who pours out lies. He doesn't just hate discord in a family. He hates the person who sows discord in the family. And so here's, it's, it is uncomfortable to look at and to understand that at some point, hey, if you didn't, if you did not 
connect to any of those things that God hates, then you're not being honest. Because we've all been a part. Have you never been prideful? You never told a lie? And now maybe your hands haven't killed the innocent, but have we stood idly by when it happened? Do, have we had a heart that plotted evil? Feet that, that were eager to go do something we knew we shouldn't? Have we ever poured out false witness or sowed discord in our family or somebody else's? We're all in that. And that is very uncomfortable to recognize and to think that at some point that God might have hated us. Because we don't like to think of God that way. We want to think about God as love. And that's true too. And see, that's one of the hard things for us to get in that passage is that it's hard for us to think about hating and loving at the same time. But God does both of those. And we don't like to think about the hate, but it's there. In Romans 5.10, it says, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son, while we were still His enemies. You see, here's the thing. that Those who are, who are out there who, who do not know God, or who have rejected the gospel, or just not in that place yet, they're enemies of God. And we were too at some point. Because we were pursuing our own agenda. And we were living lives that, that offended God by the things that we did and by the hearts that we allowed to lead us. We were there. And nobody likes to think about that. But here's the part about sin. And here's what we, we have to understand. That hatred brings separation. God's holiness and our sin causes us to be separated from God. In Genesis chapter 3, Man, Adam and Eve have sinned now in the garden and they've eaten of the tree that God told them not to eat. And so the Bible tells us that God used to come during the, the cool of the evening and would walk with man and woman and they would have fellowship together. But now it says in Romans in Genesis 3, 8, excuse me, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. You see, their sin is now separated from God. Why? Because just like in Isaiah, when it talks about holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the reaction to the man when he's in the presence of God is this. It says their voices, and he's talking about the seraphim, shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I'm a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. And that goes all the way back to what happened in the garden. When man sinned, there was separation between man and God. And what did man do? He tried to hide. Because he recognized coming into the presence of holiness, that there is a problem between them. You know what? There's something in us in there when we know somebody has something against us. When we know we've wronged somebody and we know we, we did them in a way that wasn't right, we don't want to be around them. We want to, we want to avoid them at all costs. We want to 
Get away from them. Because deep down we know that sin and holiness and righteousness, they just, they can't, they aren't compatible. And so that's uncomfortable. Isaiah 59, 2, it's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. And sin also separates us from the body. It can separate us from Christ. There was a place where Paul is talking to the church at Corinth, and there was a man in the church who's openly sinning before God. He's living in sin with his stepmother. And the Bible says, Paul tells him in 1 Corinthians 5, 5, then you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed and he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. See, our sins don't only separate us from God, but it can separate us from other believers. You know, somebody asked me one time, when was the last time? I don't recall anybody being what they used to call it church, and that meant that the church separated fellowship from someone. You want to know why that that doesn't happen very often anymore? It's because people separate themselves most of the time. When they've done, done something that they know is, is they're out in the open and it's against the ways of God, they don't come back. They're, they separate themselves. Because there's something in us that knows. But there's a separation there. And so sometimes we get those things confused. Now, we're as believers, the Bible tells us that we've, that fellowship and that friendship with God has been restored, that we're now friends of God. And there, there are things that come when, as believers, there is God's discipline. Hebrews 12, 5 through 6, have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. So discipline is not the same thing as hatred. When God disciplines us, it's not from anger. It's not as punishment. It's as correction. It's because God wants us to stop doing those things that are outside his word because they, they eventually, they'll harm us. Those things will harm us. God wants to bring us back to the right way. He wants us to be in fellowship with him. And so he disciplines us. That's what happens between us and, and God as his children. And if you've been following God for a period of time, you have probably experienced the discipline of God. I've experienced God's reproof and his discipline on my life. Now, let me tell you about it. It wasn't fun. The Bible talks about that. It says down further in Hebrews chapter 12, for our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful, but afterward there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Now, just because God's not reproving us from hatred, just because it comes from love, it doesn't mean that it's not going to hurt because it does hurt. It is painful. It is difficult. But it is to bring us back into fellowship. 
And this is so we, we won't confuse when God disciplines us, it is not out of hatred or out of anger. It's not even punishment. It's correction. His discipline is meant to correct us, to bring us back into a right fellowship with him. Because that's the thing. And what we're going to talk about some next week is, you know, you, you as, as parents, when you have children in your home, we have to discipline our children. You know, it says in Proverbs that the man who does not discipline his son doesn't love his son. And so discipline comes through love. And that discipline is to change a behavior, is to correct a course, to bring them back to a place where God can bless and that God can lead and that there can be fellowship with him. And discipline is not enjoyable, but it's always good. Now, there's a difference between the way that those who are without Christ are before God and the ways who are with Christ are before God. God disciplines us. Now, you might see, well, what about the people that don't know God? They're not being disciplined. No, they're not. They're under judgment. Because you see, without Christ, we all live in this place where we have earned God's judgment. And you know what judgment is? It says the wages of sin are death. Not only are we living as enemies with God, not only are those who now do not have Jesus are enemies of God, but they're under a sentence of death. Now God, here's where the love part comes in. You know, it's uncomfortable to think that God might have hated us. Once you belong to Jesus, God doesn't hate you any longer. And it's uncomfortable to think that we were ever in that spot. But here's, here's the miracle of it, okay? God does love. And here's what his love does. It says in 1 John 4, 8 through 10, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So how did he show that love? You know, it, Jesus talked about it too. He said, look, he said, when you love somebody that, that loves you back, what, what's, what is that? Everybody does that. Even lost people do that to one another. Somebody loves them, they love them back. But let me tell you what real love is. And here's what it says in John 4, 8 and verse 9. But God loved, showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. So here's the point with that. None of us loved God first. N not one. God loved you even before you were created in the womb. He loved you while you were in the womb. And he's loved you every moment since. Now, even within that, and I was seven when I accepted Christ, so I had not robbed any 7-Elevens. I had not been a drug dealer. There were lots of things I had not done. But guess what? I was an enemy of God because I, I disobeyed. 
I was a sinner at seven years of age. And some of you were saved at a much later age. And here's the miracle of God's love. God loved you first. He sent his son to die so that we might know him. He was sent as a sacrifice to take away our sins. God showed how much he loved you. Romans 5, 8 through 11, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So here's the thing. You can get caught up in, I can't believe God would have hated me. Now, he didn't hate, hate you with the intent to destroy you. But he hates the lying tongue, the proud heart, the heart that, that schemes evil. He hates. The amazing thing is that even though God hated those qualities, those characteristics, those things that we did, he still loved. And guess what? His love is stronger than hate. He loved us enough. He showed how great his love was by sending Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. And you know what? That is the most powerful expression of love that we have. Amongst us is to love someone even when they hurt us. Is to love someone even in the midst of their being flaws in who they are. That's the strongest love that we know. And it's most seen through the way Jesus loved us. And since we've made, been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. You see, anybody who, who's alive who does not know Jesus is under his condemnation. You know, that's the thing about death. We earn it. The wages of sin is death. That when we sin, that's what we deserve. But the gift of God is that he doesn't just give us what we deserve. He loved us enough to give us what we did not deserve, which was forgiveness and grace. And ultimately, the gift of his son, Jesus. There's not, a one, there's not one person in here, there's not a person on the face of this earth that deserved what God offers. None of us. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still in his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. Now, why is it important to remember all this? Because I think sometimes we forget. You know, we get wrapped up and we should be in the love of God. We should be 
living in the promises of what God has told us, that he's removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Those have been wiped out. And we should be living joyously in that freedom. He set us free from the power of sin. We should be living in that freedom. We should be wrapped up in the fact of God's love for us and that nothing, nothing that's been created, neither height nor depth, nor any other created thing can separate us from the love of Christ. We should be wrapped up in that. So why is it important to remember these unpleasant things? Why is it important to look at the fact that, that God hates? He, it's, it's meant to be a word that describes to us the depth of the reaction that God has to sin. And why do we need to remember that? Because there are people that are still there. And you know what? Here's the thing, and this is hard. It's the hard part. Is to know, you know what? God's not going to punish sin in hell. He's going to punish sinners. People. And it's people that refuse the gift of salvation that are going to have to pay every ounce that they owe for the sins they've committed. And here's the thing, every sin they've committed earned death. And so there's going to come a point when there's going to be judgment. And those who have Jesus, who have a relationship with Christ, when the judgment comes, we're all going to stand before God. And there's going to be judgment. And if you know Jesus, Jesus will say on your behalf, the Bible says he is our advocate in heaven. He will say, no, that one, I paid for his sins. And we're going to be able to enter into the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven because of what Jesus did for us. But there are going to be people who are going to be standing before God that Jesus will not be able to say that for because they didn't trust him as their Savior and Lord. And they're going to spend eternity separated from God in agony. That's the fact of the Scripture. And you know what? It's easy for us, and we should be, longing for heaven and waiting for that moment and looking forward to that time that we're going to be reunited with with Jesus in heaven and we're going to be transformed into his image. Sin is going to be gone. All the consequences of sin are going to be gone forever. And that is something to rejoice in and to revel in and to look forward to. And we should. But we also need to remember that not everyone's going to experience that. And there are people that we know and that we love that are going, if they were to die today, would go to hell. And you know what? That should be a burden in our hearts. Is that we don't want anyone to go to hell. You know, if somebody were to come up and tell you, hey, there's, there's going to be one month left in this earth, what would you do? 
And I get odd. You know, I'd want to be with my family. I don't need to be with my family if there's a month left. You want to know why? I'm going to be with them for eternity. I know they know Jesus. So what should we do? Man, I'd go up to the mountains and hang out. I'd get all that. But if we really believed what the Word of God says, if we really believed and understood God's hatred of sin and the penalty of sin, we would want to spend the last month here on this earth telling as many people as we possibly could about Jesus. You know, we get wrapped up, and we should, in the reality of heaven and the reality of God's love, but we should also be driven by the reality of hell and the reality that those who do not choose Christ are going to spend eternity there. Now, I don't know what, some of the things I don't know in life, and I have questions about, is will we even remember? Because the Bible says there's not going to be, there will be no tears, there will be no suffering, there will be no sorrow. So I don't know, maybe when we go into heaven, the memory of anyone who's not there will just be wiped out. I don't know. I don't know how that works. But what I do know is that on this earth, we have a limited time to trust Jesus. And none of us know how long that time is. And it might be that Jesus is going to come back and take all the church and we're never going to have a chance to tell anybody else. Or it may be that people are going to die. And that may be soon. I don't know. You know what? One thing I know, two or three years ago when the whole Corona China whatever virus thing came out, there was a period of time there where we didn't know what was going on. And I was wondering, I bet you were too, is this going to be one of those things that sweeps across our country and that thousands and thousands and thousands of people are going to die from? Now, there are some that, that passed away from it, and it's serious. But it wasn't the, the, the big wave like we thought it might be. But what if that's the next thing? What if that really does show up? The Bible talks about pestilence and famine and, 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 and all those things that are going to, to take people away. And the bottom line is that every single day, people die without Jesus. And instead of us focusing and worrying about, I can't believe that God would have hated me or that I would have been his enemy for a moment. Maybe we ought to think about rejoicing in the fact that we're not now, but also understanding there are people that are living under that right now, and they need Jesus. You know what we're called to do is to tell them. They may have a month. They may only have a month. And let me tell you something else the Bible's crystal clear about. When you take your last breath here on this earth, your, your eternal destiny is set then. There's no second chance. There's no place you go to where maybe you can earn your way back to heaven. In that moment, it is set. Now, well, what about kids? Well, the Bible talks about that. I believe there's an age of accountability. 
David, when his son was born and then died a few days later, said very clearly, and I believe this is from the Spirit of the Lord, that where he is, I will go to him, but he will not come again to me. And so I do believe there, there are circumstances where children who pass, and, and um, I, I don't, I'm not exactly sure what that age is. That's one of the reasons why we spend so much time trying to make sure kids know about Jesus. I don't know when that moment is. You don't either. Nobody can tell us. But there is a moment when we're accountable. And from that moment on, God's given us the ability to make the decision. And every day that goes by where people pass away without Jesus, they're in hell. And that should burden us. So this is not about being shocked. Although it's kind of shocking, it's hard to think about God, about us being enemies of God. I, I don't like, I don't enjoy that. But we're, the reason why it's important to remember and to know that is to remember that there are people that we love and care about that are in that spot now. And unless they come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that's going to be their destiny for eternity. we got to get busy about the things that really matter. You know, we're going to be able to do a lot of things in heaven. You know, God created the earth, and that's the best picture that we have of what heaven's going to be like. Because that was a perfect place. Now, the cool things were, there were tigers wouldn't try to eat you. There weren't any thorns. You could walk barefoot anywhere. Snakes were apparently okay then. They're not now. They're evil. Kill them all. I'm just saying. Do not send me emails saying, well, you shouldn't kill this kind of... Kill them all. Let God sort them out. Period. That's all I'm saying. So they weren't, they weren't around. It was, you didn't have to even till the land and work it to live. God created a place where you just go pick stuff off a tree and eat and be good. And you had everything you needed was right at your fingertips. But there was this earth that we had to, to enjoy. And so we're going to be able to do all those things in heaven. We're going to be able to enjoy all of God's creation without any of the, of the, the negatives that come with the earth that we live in now that has fallen because of sin. So we're going to be able to do all that. We're going to be able to fellowship with each other for all of eternity. We're going to be able to hang out with each other. And we're all going to be perfect, so we're not going to get on each other's nerves. It's going to be good. We're going to be able to be in the presence of God. We're going to be able to get to, to know things that we didn't know now. Now, how much will be? I, I don't know. I got a whole list. I don't know if there's like a film room where you can go and watch and see. What happened to Amelia Earhart? I want to know what happened to her. Was there really anybody on the grass? You know, I mean, I don't know. Maybe we'll be able to find out all those things. But we're going we're gonna to have all this knowledge. We're going to be in the presence of God. We're going to be in the presence of people that we love. We're going to be in the presence of this creation that is going to be so perfect and so amazing that we will never tire of it. But let me tell you what we won't be able to do. And that's to be tell lost people about Jesus. The only time we have to do that is our time here on this earth. 
And so it ought to matter. Now, I'm not telling everybody to quit your jobs and go out and start. Hey, I get it. What I'm saying is, as you go, as you go about life, recognize you're going to meet two kinds of people and only two. You're going to meet lost people and you're going to meet saved people. Lost people need to know Jesus. And our job, the last thing Jesus said, you know, when he was leaving, you ever left on a trip and left your kids in charge? And, you you know, maybe you've gone through all these different things. All right, don't do this, don't do that. But when you leave, you give them like the last things. The really important stuff that you want them to remember while you're gone. Don't forget this. And you know what Jesus gave to us? Go. Spread the good news. Make disciples. That was the last thing he said before he went back. Sit down at the right hand of God. We need to remember that God loves and that God hates. It's not the way we hate. Because God loves enough that even when he hates things about us, he loved us enough to send his son to die on the cross for us. Paul talked about that. He said, you know, maybe somebody would die for, for, for a good man. But Christ died for us when we weren't good. When we were sinners. And we need to share that. And remember what happens when we don't receive the, the free gift. The last verse there in Romans I want to read to you. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. You know, one of the things that that friends do, when you have a friend that is closer than a brother, you tell other people about them, don't you? Kids can't wait to come tell you about their best friend. We're friends of God. And we have to remember, there are people out there that don't know him. And if they don't know him, they're going to perish and spend eternity in hell, separated from God, from anything good. It's our job to tell them that God loves them. That, listen, they've, they've earned death and hell. But God loved them enough that he sent his son to die on the cross for them too. That whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That should be the, the, our life's message. Is to tell people about Jesus. It's uncomfortable thinking about it. I get it. We like talking about the love of God, the goodness of God, and, and those things are all 100% true. But let us not forget that God is holy and He is righteous and that He is just. And He doesn't force anyone to go to heaven. He gives us a choice. And our job is to tell people about that choice. Now, for some of you, you have a choice today. You can't be good enough to be right with God. The Scripture is clear about that. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. That's it. Both of those are in Romans. 
But the free gift of God, of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. It's available for you. So here's what you got to do. You, wanna, you need to have a relationship with Jesus. I'm not asking you about your relationship to the church. Because the truth is, you can be a church member and not know Jesus. I'm asking you, do you know Jesus? And here's how you have a relationship with him. Number one, you got to admit you're a sinner and for, ask forgiveness of your sins. Number two, you got to believe that Jesus is God's son. He is the only way to heaven. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. He is the physical expression of God's love for us. you got to believe in Jesus, that he died on the cross for your sins, and that he rose on the third day according to Scripture. And then last, the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, and 10, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When you come to Christ, you got to turn away from your sin and come to him. That, that's what the word repent means. It means to turn away from. And you got to come bringing everything. You don't hold part about, hey, Jesus, I want to keep this part secret. That's not how it works. Or, hey, I want to be saved, but I want to do my own thing. That's not how it works. Now, we all fail. And we'll all fail in the future. But when you come to Jesus, you come with everything. If you're ready to do that and you want to know that your sins are forgiven, that you are in a right relationship with God, and that your eternity with Him in heaven is set. I want to lead you in a prayer of salvation. You can pray these words. word for, You can just repeat them after me, or you can pray them in your own words. But I want to encourage you, if you'd like to know those things, you pray this with me now. So if everyone will bow your heads and close your eyes, please. You pray this with me now. Dear God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for Jesus. God, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life. Cleanse me. Make me yours. I believe Jesus is your son. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose on the third day, according to Scripture. So today, I trust Jesus as my Savior, and I confess him as my Lord. Now, without anybody looking around, I want to say a couple things to you. Number one, you might be thinking, how could it be that easy? Well, it wasn't. Jesus suffered and died so that you could be free and so you could be forgiven. And it is simple for us because he did everything for us that we could not do for ourselves. Now here's what I want to ask you next. If you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, here's all I'm going to ask you to do. You don't have to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to say anything in front of anybody. Here's what I want you to do, though. I want you to look up at me. If you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, you look up and keep looking until I see you. All right. Okay. All right, I see you. Got you. Now, here's what I want to encourage you to do. It's important that you tell someone. You came with somebody. 
Maybe you're here with your mom or dad or whatever. Tell them and have them contact us. And we'll have someone, a, a youth pastor or one of our children's ministers sit down with you and go over everything and make sure you understand it and answer any questions you have. And then also talk to you about the next steps in following Jesus. If you're an adult, we'd encourage you to, whether it's in person, you can come talk to John. He'll be standing here after the service. Or you can text us. There's a number on the screen. And just text, I did it to that number. And we'd love to, to set up a time. We'll contact you, set up a time, talk to you on in person or on the phone. We'd love to answer any questions you have. And we'd also love to talk to you about the next steps in following Jesus. Now, I want to tell you up front, we're not going to ask anything from you. We're not going to put you on a mailing list. We're not going to bug you. We don't want anything from you. We just want to help you. And we want you to be able to take those next steps. So you can contact John immediately after the service. We'll have somebody talk to you today, or we can set up a time to do it. Or you can go through the, the QR code or the number text on the screen but I really want to encourage you to tell someone it is important so right now I want to pray for you I want to pray for each of us but I particularly want to pray for those who come to faith in Christ today let's pray dear Heavenly Father thank you Lord for your goodness and your love for us Father thank you for the reminders about your holiness and how serious sin really is Father, through that, we can see how much you loved us to do what was necessary so that we could be forgiven and be in right relationship with you. Father, I thank you for your son. I thank you for those that have made that decision today to trust you and to be in relationship with you. Father, I pray that you would strengthen their hearts, that God, you'd speak to them through your word, that you'd lead them to the right church they can grow and develop their relationship with you. And Father, I thank you for allowing us to be a part of their decision today. Father, we pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.